Praise the Lord. Well, let's take our Bible. Turn over, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. We are actually in a series, and I know it's December, and uh, probably I should be speaking about Christmas, but hold on.
<clears throat> well, we'll see what happened here. All right, there we go. Um, I should be probably speaking about Christmas, but we're in the midst of a series on being thankful, and I wanted to finish it. And then next week, we're going to start a series on Christmas, or a theme at least, and it's, uh, the, the, the message, our series, is going to be called An Unlikely Hero, An Unlikely Hero. And so we'll start that next week, but for right now, let's finish up our series on It's Your Turn to Be Thankful. It's Your Turn to Be Thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> the Bible says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We turn to the book of Ephesians, and you needn't go there, but if we did, we'd look at verse 20, and it says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as we consider this element of thanksgiving, we realize and recognize the importance of it in our own lives. We see a culture that is rapidly changing. We needn't speak of that. But the fact is, is that it's happening around us. There's such an attitude of ingratitude that it seems that it's somewhat overwhelming at times. And yet in the Word of God, the Bible says uh, we're instructed by God to in everything to give thanks. In everything. And boy, that, that's a hard pill to swallow. In everything. I mean, I think about in the back, a little boy tripped going up the steps. And I thought, he probably wasn't real grateful. Up front, there was a little girl that tripped coming off the step. I'm sure that she wasn't thrilled about that. In everything, give thanks, the Bible says. And you know, and that's a hard thing to do. I mean, tough times come in all of our lives, and difficult situations seem to find their way into our homes. And just, it's just an element where, if we're not careful, we can miss this commandment. And yet he says that it's, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. I want to be in the middle of God's will. You do too, I'm sure. And if I'm going to be in God's will, then I have to be able and willing to give thanks for everything. And so we need to do that. Well, what do we have to be thankful for? And I think sometimes the bottom line is we just need to, we need to be thankful for certain things. If we're thankful enough, then maybe we won't be so unthankful when the difficult times come. We'll always be able to remember the good things, if you will. And the fact is, is that God has a purpose and a plan for everything in our life. Whether we understand it or whether we appreciate it or like it, that's not the issue. The point is, is that he has a much broader view of life. He understands exactly what every piece and part does and how it works together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. And so nonetheless, we've looked over the last couple of weeks of this element of thankfulness. And we said, you know, if we're going to be thankful, we ought to be thankful for what God has done. Then we said uh, last week, we need to be thankful for what God is doing. And this week, I just want to conclude our series by addressing this issue, be thankful for what God is going to do, is, or will do, I should say. Will do. What he will do. And so I want to have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into it, and we'll get finished with this series, and we'll jump on into Christmas. And so I don't mean to be a Scrooge today or a bah humbug, but I want to get this done. I mean, you ought to be thankful anyway. <laughs> Most of you are out of the will of God right now. No, I'm teasing. I, I, I. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together, and Lord, I just pray that you would fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. I I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it me. Lord, I truly do need you to fill me. 
Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would be with the people of God today. May our ears be anointed with spiritual salve. And Lord, may we hear in a spiritual way. Lord, may we not just be simply hearers, but doers of the word. May you drive home truths that will encourage us and inspire us to be better for you. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, remove any distractions that, Father, would keep us from being focused on you and your word today. Help us, Lord, to simply direct our attention to you. Again, Father, I need you. I feel so inadequate today. And I just ask that you would just do a miracle here in this place. Be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so when we think about just, I mean, the wonderful things we have to be thankful for, we think about what God has done, what God is doing, but now we, we also think about what God will do. We start thinking about what God will do, well, then it's our turn to be thankful, no doubt about it. Number one, he's going to receive you to himself. Again, we're talking today about, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He's going to receive you unto himself. Many would refer to this as the rapture. I mean, think about what we as believers have to look forward to. It's an amazing thing. I mean, we see our world, as has been mentioned a number of times, I'm sure, in preaching and teaching, being turned upside down. We see things going in a direction that is alarming for us as believers. It goes truly contrary to the Word of God. When we see that, that it, it we call good evil and evil good, and, and we put light for dar- uh, darkness for light, and all of the things that we're recognizing and seeing around us, man, I'll tell you, as a believer, it can get discouraging, and we can get kind of down in the dumps, but the fact is we have a lot to be thankful for when we think about what God will do, when we consider that He's going to receive us unto Himself. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Again, when he uses the word asleep, he's not talking about those that are necessarily asleep as in taking a nap. He's talking about those that have already passed on from this life to the next, that no longer breathe, they're no longer with us in this life. They are dead, if you would, from our perspective, but as a believer... No believer's truly ever dead. They're alive, and they're alive in Christ and with Christ. And so, therefore, he says they're simply asleep. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This isn't something that the Apostle Paul made up. It's not something that some other uh, theologian came to a conclusion and finally started propagating and promoting in the world. No, this is something that is the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We think about this thing that's often referred to as the rapture. It's a catching away. The fact is, is that in our lives, we may be facing some difficult situations and circumstances, many things that are beyond our control even. And it's easy, as I said, to be discouraged. It's easy to become even depressed. It's easy to find ourselves feeling somewhat hopeless if we're not focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ and the good and God that he has done in our life. But the fact is, 
is that he's coming back. And he's not going to leave us here alone. He's coming back to get us. Matter of fact, we can rejoice in that and we can be thankful for the fact that he's going to receive us unto himself. We know that at this present time, we're in what's called the church age. That kicked off, of course, with, the, with uh, the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we come into this church age, and now we have the Holy Ghost living in us and dwelling in us and enabling us to serve the living God. But there's coming a day after the church age that the rapture of the church will take place. When we get to the end of that time period, Christ is going to come and gather us up and take us out to be with him in the air. And then, of course, there's going to be a tribulation period that kicks off. And we'll talk a little more about that. But the fact is, is that for us, we simply need to get through this time because we have the guarantee and we have the promise that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful for that right now. I see what's going on over there in the Middle East, and I see what's taking place over in Ukraine and in Europe, and I recognize what's happening in America, and I think to myself, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if Jesus Christ came back today? And I know if you're young today and your life is just starting out, you're thinking, no, not yet. There's some things I want to do. There's stuff I want to experience, and I get it. But let me tell you, the longer you live in this life, the more you recognize and realize that there is nothing but a blessed hope awaiting us in Jesus Christ. Him coming back for us is a wonderful thing, and it's something we ought to be thankful for and rejoice in. In John chapter 3, verse 36, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see light, but the wrath of God abideth on him. As I said before, already remember something. We live in a day and an age where it's the church age and every single human being has an opportunity to receive and accept Christ. But let me tell you, according to the word of God, there are those that will not. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Wait a second. What's he talking about? Here's what I want you to understand. For you and I today, we're not going to ever, ever, ever experience the wrath of God but some people will. We have a church age now, and the grace of God is being extended to you and I will be raptured or caught up and taken out of this place, and for that we ought to be grateful because as soon as that ends, within a matter of moments or possibly years, it depends to God, it's his business, a seven-year tribulation will kick off and begin. Well, I promise, according to the word of God, that the wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Who? Those that did not believe. Those that rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And more specifically, who he's really referring to are those that will receive and accept the mark of the beast. I'm going to tell you something. There's coming a day during that tribulation period where it's going to be ugly. It's going to be bad. We don't even understand what death is, what destruction is yet compared to that day. Do you realize that at least one-third, if not two-thirds, according to many theologians, will literally die? The population of the earth will be lost, lose at least one-third, if not two-thirds of the entire population of the earth during that period? 
We have no concept nor do we have a clue of the wrath of God and the power that God exists. When we go through life and we are, are, are given to the punishment or the chastisement of the Lord and we think, man, God is so unmerciful to me. No, he is so full of mercy because if he poured all his wrath upon us, we'd be burning in a devil's hell without the presence of God in our life forever and ever and ever. No, we are blessed today. I'll tell you what, we ought to be very thankful as believers that we will never, ever, ever, ever have to go through the wrath of God. We'll never be placed in that tribulation period. We're going to be taken out before that day begins. You get on the internet and you start surfing the internet and you start looking for people to tell you about the end times. You're going to find all kind of trash and junk. You better be careful who you're listening to, who you're reading after, and who your podcast you're watching because there's so many today that are getting off track and saying, oh, well, we'll go through at least half the tribulation. And others will say, well, no, we'll be raptured out at the end of the tribulation. And there's so many different views and so many different ideas. But I'm telling you biblically and scripturally, you will never be submitted to the wrath of God. And the tribulation is a day of wrath. The day of the Lord. Horrible time. Kicks it all off. Notice what else happens here. He says over here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, For you and I, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. No, I'm not going to be here for that. I won't be here when God pours out his wrath on this earth. I'll be with him. Because when he, he's coming back for me. And if you're a child of God today, he's coming back for you. And that's something you can be thankful for. He will receive you unto himself in the rapture. What a wonderful thing. Not only will we escape this present evil world we live in, but we're going to escape the wrath of God during the tribulation period because he's coming back for us. Number two... Another reason why we ought to be thankful. And, and can I just say, when you consider what God's going to do, it's your turn to be thankful. Amen. Not only that, but he's going to give you a home in heaven. He's going to give you a home in heaven. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 14. It's amazing, really, isn't it, uh, when you think about uh, folks, they, 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 you know, you start preaching about hell or you preach about judgment or you preach about uh, the wrath of God, people are like, ah, here we go again. But let me tell you something. There's not a preacher on this planet that could possibly scratch the surface of the depth of the wrath of God. And can I tell you, the only thing that keeps that wrath from being poured out upon us, the sinners we are in this world, we are not inherently good. We are inherently evil. There's nothing good about us that deserves the favor of God. It, the only thing that holds back that wrath is his mercy. Such powerful, such great mercy. And every time something bad happens in your life, you ought to thank God it wasn't 10 times, 20 times, 100 times worse because the only thing kept it from being that is his wonderful mercy in your life. Could have been so much worse. But God in his mercy spared you. You say, I've known things are so bad. I know, but it could have been so much worse. But he's going to give you a home in heaven. That's a good reason to be thankful. 
I mean, what are we talking What God's going to do, what he will do, he's going to give us a home in heaven. John 14, 1 through 3. You know the circumstance around this passage. The disciples are extremely discouraged. Man, they've been being told by the Lord that they're going to, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be uh, turned in, if you will. He's going to stand before a mock, uh, endure a mock trial. He's going to ultimately be crucified. Man, they are down in the dumps. I mean, this, this, this leader, this Jesus they had followed, the Messiah. You're, going to, you're what? I mean, they're They're down. And, and so Jesus says to them in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. It's interesting to me, and again, I don't know, it just kind of stood out on the page to me just this moment, but I want you to read that with me. Look at this, let not your heart be troubled. You would have thought he'd have said, let not your hearts be troubled. He's talking to a group, right? Let not your hearts be troubled. But it just hit me. I got thinking, that's how personal God is with us. Even Jesus, when he's speaking to the crowd, was speaking to individuals. And notice he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's as though he was talking just to each of them individually at that very moment, even though there was a group of them. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. We recognize the return of Christ here as well for his children, for his people, yes. But also notice, he says that there's something I'm preparing, I'm ready. It's a place for you. And he says, listen, it, there's, there's in my father's house many mansions Boy, the Lord is in preparation, and that mansion is in place. And you know what? It's called the New Jerusalem, what he's preparing. The New Jerusalem, it's going to be our home. In Revelation, turn to Revelation 21, 1 through 2. He's going to give you a home in heaven. You say, what does that look like? What does it mean? It's called New Jerusalem for us. Now, we're going to be able to... uh, uh, Travel, if you will, we'll be able to to get around town, so to speak, but we are not going to be living on the earth. We're going to be living in New Jerusalem. We'll be able to go down to the earth, I believe. We'll be able to go up into the heavenlies, but the fact is, is that our home is New Jerusalem. And notice what he says here in Revelation 21, 1 through 2. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Watch this. And I, John, saw... The holy city, New Jerusalem. Now hold on. Notice there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. But then there's also this holy city called New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know who the bride is? You and I in Christ Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. Guess what it is pictured as in the Bible? A city, New Jerusalem, a holy city. That means you and I will dwell there, and we will bask there, we will live there. But wait a second, he goes on in chapter 21 to describe that city. And in that description, he says, the building of the wall of it is of jasper. He says, the city is pure gold, likened to clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are garnished with all manners of precious stones. There are 12 gates And each gate is a pearl. 
Some of you ladies might like pearls. And I remember years ago, I went to the Philippines and I bought my wife a, a, a pearl necklace. I mean to tell you, I spent a lot of money. No, I didn't. But anyway, you could buy things really cheap there. Man, good pearls cheap. And so way back in 2003, I bought her one of those pearl necklaces. And those little pearls are so tiny. The bigger the pearl, the more expensive it gets. Can I tell you, in this new Jerusalem, the Bible tells us there'll be 12 gates, but those gates are pearls. They're, they're each a pearl. A huge pearl. How precious would that be and how wonderfully beautiful it will be. The street of the city, he says, are, the streets are pure gold. We already said it's transparent glass. There's no temple in that city. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? But hold on. Why not? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city has no need of the sun. Neither of the moon to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God lightens it and the Lamb is the light thereof. There be no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. None of that will be permitted there. Only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life are permitted into that holy city. See, you're only permitted into the city by invitation. And you must have a reservation if you hope to stay in a mansion. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. I want you to know that as a born-again child of God, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, someone that's put their faith in Him, that you have a reservation. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant, what? Mercy. There we go. Hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Man, I got me a reservation. That mansion that's in building, that's, that beautiful holy city and building, listen, God, keep working on it because I'll be there soon. When you come back for me, I'll be waiting. And when I come to my mansion, I'll be rejoicing. Let me tell you something. We got a lot to be thankful for today because of what he is going to do in our lives. Let me tell you what, it's our turn to be thankful. It's amazing. See, this life is temporary. Heaven is going to be forever. This life is imperfect. Heaven's going to be perfect. This life is full of heartache and pain. In heaven, we're only going to know peace and joy. Someone says, that just sounds too good to be true. Well, if it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. Unless you're dealing with God. He does the impossible all the time. God's going to give you a home in heaven. It's your turn to be thankful. Number three, I like this one a lot. And this is our last one. He's going to wipe away all tears. He'll wipe away all tears. 
Again, Revelation 21, would you please, verse 4. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, along with a bunch of others. <laughs> you got a bunch of favorites? People say, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? I'm like, are you kidding me? That's like saying, what's your favorite? Kissing, hugging, or holding hands with your wife? All the above. I mean, you're kidding me, right? Watch this now. He will wipe away all tears, Revelation 21.4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Boy, how wonderful, wonderful a day that'll be. No death, sorrow, crying, or pain. <sighs> wow. But wait a second. He says, for the former things are passed away. Seeing the former things are passed away, what can we expect then? Well, guess what? He tells us there's some new things. We touched on it already, but there's going to be a new heaven, he tells us in chapter 21. You know, that heaven is going to be without the mark of sin or without Satan. That's a wonderful thing. Every single thing that corrupts and destroys and deteriorates the fabric of our world today is the tempter, the devil. He has wrecked and ruined everything because of sin. Tempting Eve and now sin because of the sin of Adam. It's entered into this world and it is wrecking and ruining every aspect of our lives. If there's anything good in your life, it is solely and only the grace and mercy of our God. I could never hope, and I've, I've done this before, but let me just try to explain this in my own little mind to you, this idea of the mark of sin gone, no sin and Satan gone. I, I, again, I can't hope to describe it or illustrate it accurately, but I just want you to think about maybe an extremely humid day and how oppressive that heat can be in your life. That heat, maybe even the sun's beating down and it's just humid and hot. and oh. Then comes a cold front that brings a, a, just a, a fleeting, just a very brief torrential downpour. And when the sky clears, the sun returns, you step outside to a new day. And it seems so fresh and clean and clear and the humidity's gone and you're like, wow, this feels so refreshing. I'm going to tell you what, we have never seen a new day dawn like that yet. That's what we're going to see when new heaven comes around. Man, it's going to be wonderful. But he says not only a new heaven, he says a new earth. In Romans 8, 22, the Bible says, for we know that the whole earth, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. From the very moment that sin entered into the world, the earth has been groaning. The earth has been taking gut shots, if you will. The devil's just been... The earth's hurting. Why? Because of sin. This earth is nothing what God intended it to be for you and I. It's corrupted by sin. And the Bible is telling us that we know that the whole creation groaneth. Everything that God created is suffering because of sin. 
Why does God allow tsunamis? Why does God allow horrible things to happen? Uh, you know, like, like uh, tornadoes and, and all those horrible things like hurricanes and taking life and wrecking, ruining property. And why does he let that happen? Man, that's not God doing all that mess. That's the effect of sin and the earth groaning. But the earth will be free from the effect of sin. There'll be no more earthquakes or tornadoes or tsunamis or any of that other stuff one day. Won't be around anymore. There'll be a new earth. See, again, the former things are passed away. But there'll be that new Jerusalem we touched on and talked about. And there in Revelation 21, 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever work of abomination or make the lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, a new Jerusalem. And then not only that, whether it be that new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, there's going to be a new body that you and I will possess. I was pretty pleased with this one for a long time. It's not doing too well these days. When you're young, you're like, ah, this is great. And the older you get, the more you go, this is great. <laughs> but we're told in the word of God that we're going to have a new body. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, we're told that who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things and do himself. What's he saying? He's saying, you ever see or envision in your mind the resurrected Christ in his glorified body? You'll have that body. It's going to be an amazing body. It'll never deteriorate. It'll never break down. I am going to gorge myself, and I will never gain weight. I mean, you'll be able to go out and play 100 games of basketball and never wake up sore. And can you imagine a body like Jesus Christ? A body where all of a sudden he shows up and there he is in the midst of a room. We're going to have bodies. We're going to be able to, 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 to roam the universe in obedience to Christ and the work that he gives us to do. And there will be work to be done, but it will be pleasurable just like it was in the garden before the fall. Boy, when you consider how much hope and joy awaiting us one day, it's your turn to be thankful. It's my turn to be thankful. See, be thankful for what God is going to do. He's going to receive you unto himself. He's going to give you a home in heaven. He's going to wipe away all tears. When you consider what God is going to do, it's your turn to be thankful. But, but, but wait a moment. This is only true for those who have acknowledged their sin before God who's holy. Wait a second. That, wait, we've been talking about all of the things that God is going to do for us, but wait a second. I don't know if he's going to do it for you yet, though. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, have you acknowledged your sin before God who's holy? Have you finally recognized yourself as the sinner that God says you are for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? There's none that doeth good. No, not one, he says. Well, I'm a good person. Compared to who? Compared to your neighbor? Maybe. 
Compared to a family member? Possibly. Compared to God himself? Uh Uh-uh. Compared to Jesus Christ who lived a sinless, perfect life while in this world? Uh Uh-uh. We fall miserably short. For the wages of sin is death, excuse me, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. We've all fallen miserably short to his perfect standard. Have you acknowledged your sin before God? But wait a second, but have you believed that Christ alone can save you? 2,000 years ago, literally Jesus Christ submitted himself to death and there he hung on Calvary with the nails in his hands and in his feet. There he suffered between heaven and earth. He died in your place, taking your place, taking your pain, taking your suffering, your punishment in your stead. You say, you don't throw that on me. God does. God puts that on you. God puts that on me. I'm a sinner at the very root, the very heart, at the very being. But he has so graciously sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, perfect life. And there God, Emmanuel, God with us, took his place on Calvary and literally paid the penalty of sin, which was death, on my behalf. And I finally said, you know what? I know I'm that sinner that he came and died for. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know that I'll burn forever without Jesus Christ in my life. But I believe that Jesus alone can save my soul. And then I confessed. Have you confessed your sin and accepted Christ as your Savior then? Because see, it's not enough to believe all the right things. You have to exercise your faith. And we exercise our faith by finally confessing and saying, Lord Jesus, I know I am that sinner and I know only you can save me and I want you to save me today. Oh, forgive me and come into my life and be my Savior. Have you done that? Winston Churchill, he planned his funeral before he died. His wishes called for a bugler positioned high in the dome of St. Paul's to play the taps after the benediction. Let me see if I can do it somehow. I'm just going to hum it. Bum, bum, bum. 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 But then came the most dramatic turn. As soon as the taps was finished, Another bugler placed on the other side of the great dome played the notes of Reveille. I just forgot it. And I was in the military for years. Is that it, Brother Trump? Yeah, okay, got it. He's like, he don't know either. Hey, I tell you, he even retired from him. It's when you wake up in the morning. Reveille. What's he saying? He was saying, it's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. Yes. It's a sad day when he closed his eyes in death, but he recognized and understood at the end of history, the last note will not be taps, it'll be Reveille. Let me ask you, when your time comes to an end, will your eternity be characterized by taps? Dum, da-dum. Dum, da-dum. 
or will it be characterized by reveling? Will you be destined to hell without hope and bound by tears and terror for eternity? Or will you be revived and alive in the presence of God forever? It's up to you to make that decision and that choice. But if you choose Jesus Christ today, let me tell you what. Oh boy, you, you have a lot to be thankful for because of what he's going to do. Not only for what he's done and what he's doing, but one day what he will do. Oh, may believer, may we be grateful and thankful today. It's our turn to be thankful. And if you're lost today, you need to settle your soul's salvation. You need to come to Jesus Christ today. Don't play around with eternity. Settle it today, and you'll never regret it. Let Reveille be your song, not taps. Father, we come to you. We ask, dear God, you'd speak to our hearts today. Again, thank you for just your goodness and your grace in our lives. We, uh, we, we are a needy people, no doubt. And Lord, today there may be someone in our midst that has yet to settle their salvation or they question or doubt where they'll spend eternity if for some reason they would take their last breath today. Oh God, help us, Father. May you be with each soul, each person. May you bring conviction where it's needed and bring change into our lives as necessary. May we, Father, be grateful and thankful for what you're going to do, what you will do. Oh, Father, we need you now today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.